you were to make your list of what you would like to have changed in your life, what would that, what would that area, extreme makeover of your life, what would that be? Uh, immediately, maybe a, a body part comes to your mind, a, a, especially after Thanksgiving. Uh, an area of your body, and maybe a zone, a zip code of your body or whatever, uh, might be the area that you would like to change. What is an area of your life that if you had opportunity to change and do an extreme makeover, what would it be? For a lot, again, the visual of the, of the body comes to, to mind. You might want to do a bod mod, as some call it. That body modification, that, that idea that you know, my body's not what it used to be and I want it to look like it used to be. And, well, here's your, here's your help out there. There's a group out there called Advanced Aesthetics Institute, and they actually have a concierge that you can go to, this institute, and they ha- this concierge will walk you through all the possible body modifications that you can do. They will help you imagine and become physically what you've always wanted to be or what you used to be maybe is another option for you. And it will only cost you somewhere around 20 grand. Okay, so that's an option for you out there. About 6.6 million people uh, a year seek out body modification of their life because when you talk about an extreme makeover, that's what they list as their tops. For you, it may not be an extreme makeover. Maybe it's a home makeover. You just watch those shows and drool over having your own interior decorator, of having your own fix-it man to fix up that castle that really, if you call it a castle, maybe it is, but maybe you're just really living in the outhouse of the castle. You really wish you had the castle, but you wish it was something else. You wish it could be nicer, bigger, more square footage. Maybe you have carpet and you wish you had hardwood. Maybe you have a hardwood and you wish you had carpet. And you can go the whole gamut on, on the home makeover. Maybe it's a relationship makeover that you would want. Maybe the relationships aren't exactly what they ought to be. Maybe you're on the second and the third round of of relationships and it's just even still today dropping short of your expectations and your goals and your desires. Maybe it's a financial makeover. I mean, that's very possible in this market in which we're living in that you might look at your your 403B or your 401K, you might look at your IRA, and you might look at your bank account, and you might just get depressed by looking at it. And if you're living in that kind of mode that, you know, I'm just going to ignore it, it's all negativity, and I'm going to be positive and just keep spending, then eventually, I promise you, you will face the piper. You will have to pay for that eventually. And so just beware of that, that maybe, maybe today you're here and you're like GM and Ford crying out for money and for help, and you wish that somebody would step in and bail you out. And a lot of people would like that. I don't know how the, the, one of the largest corporations in the world or in America can step up to the plate and say, I need a handout, but it seems like that's the thing to do in Washington right now. Everybody needs to be bailed out instead of fixing the problem. And once you fix the problem, you're just put, it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You are wasting time. It's still going to sink. We've got to fix the issue. We've got to get to the problem and fix what that problem is, whatever that problem may be. I've had couples come to me before and individuals come to me before and talk about their relationship. The relationship isn't what it used to be or isn't what they want it to be. And it's really hard when you're dealing with that and you maybe only have one couple or one, one, of the, one person of the couple and, and, or you have one who's really trying to make it work and the other one's not so much trying to make it work. And you know what I have to do in a situation like that as a unpro- I mean, I'm not a counselor, but sometimes it just kind of falls into my lap in that, in that area. I have to talk about the individual. 
I say, okay, you know what? The, the maid isn't here, but let's talk about you. Where, 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 where are you broken? Where, where are you out of alignment? Because if we can make you stronger and you what you ought to be, then maybe you will improve the atmosphere and the environment of the relationship that will make maybe that other person want to change and become uh, what they should become. So sometimes you can't fix the other person, and we're always pointing at the other person. Sometimes we might need to look at ourselves and say, what's wrong with me? Where do I need an extreme makeover? And so I want to take us to a two-part message series here, kind of dealing with an extreme makeover you edition. And hopefully over the next two weeks as we look at kind of the my new me look part one today, part two next week, that we'll kind of start thinking, okay, where am I broken? Where am I out of a line? Where am I not lining up so that I can become all that I was designed to become? And if you don't realize this yet, you need to realize it. When we're talking about real stuff, Christianity, we're talking about change. Do you think that you're just going to kind of slip into the God team and, and you're just going to kind of waltz into heaven and really there's not going to be any adjustments in life and priorities and paradigms and, and perspectives and there's not going to be any change of character? You really have been sold a bill of goods because God is about changing us and about reworking us, and about reshaping us, and about bringing us back to our original design from the very beginning. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, kind of gives us a, 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 just a, a snapshot of this, when he says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what that will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I want three words to describe Mike McDaniel, good, acceptable, and perfect, especially in God's sight. Well, you know what? If I'm going to be good, acceptable, and perfect and living out his good and acceptable and perfect will, then I'm going to have to go back to the very first word that we read, and that is to be transformed. I'm going to have to be willing to put myself out there and to say, hey, okay, God, I'm, I'm broken, Samarians. And my relationship may be hurting, and my finances may be hurting, and my job may not be what I want it to be. But I just want to, Lord, would you just kind of transform me? Can I understand your paradigm? Can I understand your perspective? Can I have your attitude? And see, the thing is, is that when we enter into this Christianity relationship, that's what God's going to be doing on us right up to the very finish line of our lives. You can read Philippians chapter 1 where he talks about he's going to keep working on us right up until the very finish, the day of Christ Jesus. But what he's working on and what he's shaping and molding and transforming us into being like is something that is beautiful. I don't have time to share from Romans 12, 1 but it's, and, and 2, but it really has a beautiful passage of Scripture because he tells us not to be conformed but to be transformed. And the idea of being conformed is an external shaping and molding. Like you would take Play-Doh as a child and put it into a mold. You would conform that, that, that Play-Doh to a certain shape and form. On the exterior, on the inside, it's still the same thing. But when he's talking about being transformed, don't be conformed, being transformed, that's an internal thing that happens and it ends up affecting the external. Thus the song that we just finished singing. Consume me from the inside out. Change me from the inside out. That's what God's about is changing us so that one day, one day, here's the beauty of it, one day when, he, when we are standing before God, Jesus will present to God the Father a beautiful, perfect, 
individual that He designed and how He desires us from the very beginning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says it like this, You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. That describes me. Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's what God wants to do with us. This is the new me. This is the extreme makeover that we're talking about. I hate to say this, but I was in a a local restaurant here not too long ago, and, and... I was speaking to the waitress, and the waitress was very kind. And, and we just were able to gauge in this conversation real quickly just as we exchanged food and bills and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and as, we were, as we were talking, she asked me what I did, and I said I was a pastor. She said, oh, I, I used to go to a big Baptist church here in this area. And she named the church. She said, but I don't go there anymore. I said, well, why not? Where, where do you go? What's going on in your life? She said, I'm now a Buddhist. And I said, oh, Really? I said, well, tell me more about that faith journey that you've been on that, that led you there. And she just kind of talked a little bit more about, well, you know, everybody at the church was so fakeish. They looked good. They sounded good. But they really didn't live it out. And I jotted down these next words that I'll read to you because as soon as I left the restaurant, I jotted them down because they stuck with me. Why did you go to Buddhism? Buddhism, you have a lifestyle relationship with God. Lifestyle relationship with God. Now, that may not grab you like it grabbed me. But somehow I thought, this lady's been sold a bill of goods. She's been taught or believed or somehow, whether it's been intentionally taught to her or she's just picked it up by osmosis, but somehow she's been taught a bill of goods that the Christian faith is not a lifestyle relationship with God. The Christian faith is something that you go to church and you do. You do your religious duty. You give your religious money. You do this. But really when it comes to business and practice and relationships and faith and all that kind of stuff, fleshing it out day to day, it really isn't a lifestyle relationship, and Buddhism is. I was very disappointed. Thus we come now again to this series. Coming back and trying to get back to what does real life Christianity looks like. And please, don't go into this world declaring yourself to be a Christian if you can't and if you are unwilling to allow God to be God in your life. That means God, that means He's the superior one. If you're allowing God to be God in your life to transform you. If you're holding back and saying, God, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. No, 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 stop, stop, stop. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about morphing our attitudes and morphing our perspectives and changing the way we value things and prioritize things and where we put things in life. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about real-life Christianity. Be finding Colossians chapter 3. We're halfway through our study in Colossians. And really what Paul does now is he kind of turns from the from laying a foundation of Christianity being Christ being the supreme one, the final, and you, don't, you, know, you want to know God, know Christ, and you know God. And, and, and that's really the, the connecting point to God is Christ is supreme and He is enough. But now He kind of turns to these shifts. That if you know Christ, and if you're in this relationship with Christ, and if you've had this encounter with Christ, then guess what? Now there's going to be changes in your life. And all of chapter 3... And a good part of chapter 4, the last part of chapter 4, we won't even get into because it's more of a postscript to 
the various people around Colossia and, and, and so forth. But we won't even get to that. So really what we're going to do is we're going to spend the rest of Colossians all dealing with what difference does Christ make in your life? And a part of that, that, that making the difference is understanding from the get-go the, the real impact of a relationship with Him. And so today, don't just mark yourself up as a Christian because you carry a, ba- ba- a baptism certificate. Don't mark yourself up as a Christian because you, were, you went to this church or that church or you were dedicated in that ceremony and you went through confirmation. Stop that. Don't be sucked into that. Notice what he says when we come to this passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, beginning reading in verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up, underscore the word if and underscore the word raised, raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And and when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Beautiful passage of Scripture. But I had you underscore two words. Look back at verse 1. Therefore, if... There's a conditional statement here. There's something that not everybody that he's about to say will follow into this category. There's an if line there. There's a line in the sand. There's a line of demarcation here. If something has happened. What's that if? If you have been raised up with Christ. The if factor here is, have you been raised up? Have you been made alive? Have you been the one who's realized this? We started the very first of the service off singing about the sickness of our hearts and our lives. Have you come to a point in your life? Again, I'm not trying to beat anybody down, but have you come to a point in your life where you realize that my life has been sick and I need a relationship with God and i just got to figure out how to get there. Like that waitress in that restaurant, she is trying to figure out how to get there as best she can and she wants that relationship with God even though she's turned to a false religion. How can you get to that relationship with God? And he says, if you've been raised up, the imagery there is clearly that he is speaking of new life. If you've been raised as if you've been raised from the dead, if Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we read it earlier as well. He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. He made you alive. Now, here's my question to you today. Before I can really go any further, my question to you today is, has Christ breathed life into your life? Are you merely living out a life hoping, longing, Maybe someday you'll know God. Or can you truly say deep down inside, I have been raised. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was in darkness, but now I see. I was sick, but now I'm being healed. Can you truly look at your life and do that contrasting, stepping over the line? Because this is what he's going to talk about for the rest of the book. Are those who have been raised... So have you been raised? Have you have new, do you have new life? Are you walking in the light? So if we can establish that, and if you haven't, hang on. Okay, we'll come to the end and we'll talk again. But if you can say, yes, that's me, then what difference does it make in my life? What's the extreme makeover that we're talking about here today and next week? What's this extreme makeover? 
Well, there's at least three things that I think you can see, three differences that being a follower of Jesus Christ should make in every one of our lives, so you can jot them down if you have your notes. One difference that every, every believer needs to go through is a shift in priorities. Your priorities will shift. What you value, what you place as, as, as most important, this will begin to undergo a shift. Now, again, in our culture, we may not deal with the Baal of the Old Testament or the Asherah of the Old Testament or, the, or the, uh, the unknown God of Athens. I mean, those are Bible stories that we hear about of the pagan gods that they were worshiping. We don't deal with those, I don't think, in America. I don't think we deal with the animistic beliefs of, of, of an African culture. We don't deal with those. I want to tell you this. What we deal with is we deal with the God of stuff. The God of stuff, the God of accumulation, the God of material, the God of things, the God of promotions, the God of more salaries, big houses, nicer cars. Now, am I saying you can't have a nice house and you can't have a nice car? No. But whenever we live in such a way that that becomes our God and that we are now living for that, then we are way, way, way off course. And I'm afraid in our day and age, in America, in Western culture, we have really got to identify what is the God of my life? They can easily slip into my life. Little G God. What little G God can slip into my life and rob me from the big G God? And rob me from my devotion and priorities. And I'm convinced that in our culture, it's for the men, it may be a new boat, a new toy, a new car, a new gun. For women, it may be new clothes. It may be a new home. It may be a nice vacation. For students, it may be the iPod, the laptop, the latest fashion from Hollister. You can just name it. For a child, it may be a Wii or a PS2 or 3 or whatever number's out now. You know, you could just name the list. And we're right now headlong into one of the greatest materialistic eras, times of, of a year. And if you listen to what's going on and what makes America great and strong, is they got to get us out spending. If we're not out spending, the wheels of the economy fall off, and America, the great, powerful, superpower country, all of a sudden is no longer great. So are we saying that the greatness of America is our material stuff? And many times in our culture, it is what it is measured by. Be very, very conscious in your life of what is demanding your priorities. I love the, it's a sad rewrite, but it's a pretty accurate rewrite of Psalm 23. It says it like this. It says, the Lord is my banker. My credit is good. He giveth me the keys to the strong box. He restoreth my faith in riches. He guideth me in the paths of prosperity for His name's sake. Surely goodness and riches will follow me, and I will dwell in mansions for the remainder of my life. That's the rewrite of Psalm 23. When it actually begins, the actual inspired text, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? want. See, there's an element of whenever God is my shepherd and God is leading me and God is the big G God in my life, that not the little G God over here in my life, but He's the big G God in my life, there's, there's something that happens. There's an element of contentment that comes over me. Not complacency. Not complacency. Contentment. That, okay, God, thank You. I have enough. Who needs now what extra I have? Who needs it worse than I do? Who can I find to help? But that's not how typically we live out of our lives 
We live it out, accumulating and accumulating. After nine seasons, the popular sitcom, Everybody Loves Raymond. story was told of on, the, uh, on May 2005, the last episode's recording, that Ray Marone stood up in front of the, uh, the, the audience, this live studio audience, on the last, last season, the last show of the last, of the last season of that year. And he stood up and he just was kind of emotional about the whole time and the whole experience of, of being Ray Marone on television and everybody loves Raymond and, and all. And he talked about how the day that he moved from New York to L.A. to start recording this series and how his brother stuck into the suitcase a little note to him. And this was the note that his brother gave to him. And if you don't recognize it, I think it was Jesus was the first one who said this. Nine years earlier, his brother gave him this note. It said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Raymond Rose stood up on the last night in the last episode after nine successful seasons and him being the most, the richest man on television at that time. And he stood up and he read that note from his brother. And he said after nine seasons of success after success after success, he said, I'm leaving this show, and this is what he said. He says, now I'm going to work on my soul. See, you might look at Ray Marone and say he conquered the whole world. He gained the whole world. But as Jesus said, what does a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? See, where is your soul in the whole mix of the bag? Where is it in the whole priorities of life? Jesus did not encourage us to seek after wealth. In fact, He quite discourages us in that. Do not store for yourself treasures on, on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, He's not against money. God owns it all. But it's, He's against us living our lives with that being our priorities. Again, I said a new life in Christ is a shift in our life. A shift in our values. Look at verse 1 here in this, in this passage. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. I'm now seeking not the things of this earth, but I'm seeking the things above. How do you do that unless we shift our priorities? What am I seeking after? I shouldn't be seeking after treasures here on earth. That shouldn't be the main thing. It's treasures in heaven. How can I get there? It's a paradigm shift, my friends. It's a value shift. It's a priority shift. Am I willing to go there? That's the bigger question. He talks about how we should seek His kingdom and His righteousness in Matthew 6.33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Also, He talks about seeking people. He said in in Luke 19.10, He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, what are we seeking? Seeking the things above does not mean seeking after the things here below. Seeking God and seeking people. Seeking God and seeking people. Seeking God and seeking people. Would you say that with me? Seeking God and seeking people. Seeking God is eternal. Seeking people that they might have enter into a love relationship with God, that's eternal. That's the only thing that's going to go on forever, are people. So seeking God and seeking people and making sure everybody comes to a a right relationship with God, that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about the Christian life is a shift in priorities. See, we can look at our wallets. We can look at our checkbooks. And it will tell us more about our priorities than anything else out there. 
anything. Number two. The second difference that it should make in our life is your focus becomes clearer. First, my priorities begin to shift, but also my focus becomes clearer. There's a lot of ambiguity in this world, and there's a lot of voices out there, and there's a lot of distractions out there. And the problem is is that I can, as easy as anybody else, can be sucked into the distractions of this world. But what I have to do as a believer in Christ is I have to zero in my mind, wrestle in the thoughts of my, of my heart, and bring them into subjection. Your mind is the door to your heart, and the heart is the door to your actions. Jesus talks about that. When He talks about it in, in Mark again and again and again, it's the issues of the heart that, that, that pollute and corrupt a man. Well, just before that, you need to understand it's the mind that feeds the heart. It's the heart that feeds the actions. So what's in my mind? Where, are, where is my focus in this world? Archibald Hart said, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, he said it like this. He said, research has shown that one's thought life influences every aspect of of one's being. Verse 2 says it like this. He says, set your mind on the things above. So our priorities are on the things that are above. Seek those things that are above. That's the very first thing we talked about. That's kind of that, that, that practical, that daily practical external living out of our, of, our, of our life. But here he's going internal. He's going internal and he's saying, now set your mind on the things above. Live out your day-to-day life seeking the things above, but also set your mind on the things that are above. It will shape how we live our life. The problem is, is that many of us try to live in this world in such a way that we set our priorities on the world, but we want to keep our mind on the things of God. But we, Our priorities say one thing, but our mind says another thing. And what we have to end up doing is we have to end up straddling this fence and living more and more like this. West African proverb says it like this, the man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. Don't walk two roads. Set your mind, set your priorities, set your values. Look at your wallet. Look at, look at your mind. What are you thinking about? Where's your mind? What are you dreaming about? When you're, when you're dreaming about tomorrow, when you're thinking about the future, what keeps you up at night? How much does God fit into your mind's life? You think about Jesus and Peter, and oh man, what an awesome relationship they had. But you know, one of the greatest insults, you might call it that, or rebukes that Jesus ever gave to Peter was whenever he said, you're like Satan. Get behind me. And that was right after Jesus said, upon you, Peter, I will build my church. You're like a rock. But then right after that, he says, get behind me, Satan. Your, your thoughts are not with me. Your mind is not with me. Because this is what it says in Mark 8:33. It says, you do not have the mind... In mind the things of God, but the things of men. Where is your mind? What are you wrapping your mind around? Paul dealt with this when he was dealing with unbelievers who were not following Christ. He said this in Philippians. He said, many lives, many live as enemies of the cross, of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their mind is on earthly things. Also, Philippians, he talks about, Think on these things. Also in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 23, he talks about renewing the mind. He talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse, verse 16, he says, we have the mind of Christ. The mind, the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind. The mind feeds the heart. The heart feeds the actions. Where's your mind? What are you thinking about? See, a changed life means a change in priorities. 
I'm seeking the things above, but also means a change of my mind and what I'm thinking on and what I'm dwelling on and the voices that I'm listening to. And you know what? If you can't handle being in silence and listening for the ever still small voice of God, what voices are rattling around in your head? Who are you listening to in your counsel? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Where does God fit into my dreams? When I'm dreaming about what I want to be and do and see done, how does God fit into that? Set my mind on the things above. So there's three things that difference a, a follower of Christ. It will change their priorities. It will, there will be a, a mind shift that goes on, a, a renewing of the mind that happens inside of them. Their focus becomes a lot clearer. When that happens. And the third reality, or the third difference that happens in a believer is their life is redefined. Our life is defined by something. Defined by our work. It's defined by so much of what we say and do. It's defined by our attitudes. It's defined. Our life has a definition. In fact, you may not even know what that definition is. You would have to have some anonymous people tell you to get the truth. But when your name comes up, there is an image that comes up with it. When your name is put on the table in a conversation that you're not privy to, there are certain thoughts that people have about you. It's kind of scary, if you be honest about it. It's kind of scary to think, what do people think about me? I have been defined by my attitude, by my actions, by my life that I've lived. I've been defined by that. But what, what happens to a believer who's real stuff Christianity? They have been redefined. There's a new definition put on them if they've really had a shift in priorities, if they really have the focus of clarity in their life and their mind is being renewed and they have the mind of Christ and they're thinking on the things of God. There's a, there's a redefinition that happens. A new defining of what goes on in us. Verse 3 says it like this. He says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now that phrase, hidden with Christ in God, uh, German theologian Fritz Reinecker says it like this, that, that, that word hidden with Christ is a, is a very important phrase and it actually means, it gives the idea of, a, of, a, of secrecy, that I am with Christ and, and that I am protected in, in Him and, and that whenever, you, whenever you're looking at Christ, you're seeing me and hopefully whenever you're seeing me, you're seeing Christ. That I am actually hidden under Him. But also it speaks of a a safety net. That the idea is that I am in God and God is in me and that we are bonded together and that we'll never be separated again. The idea is also of identity. I am known by my relationship to Him. I am hidden with Christ. I'm not hiding from Christ. I am hidden in Him. So hopefully that when you look at Mike McDaniel, really what you hopefully see is just a, a creative... I, we don't need to all be cookie cutters and look the same and, and talk the same, but there's just a, there ought to be an aura, there ought to be a presence, there ought to be a definition, there ought to be a reality that when you're with me, you're really seeing Christ manifest through me. That's what I hope you see. In my attitudes, in my actions, in the way I live my life, 
Verse 4 is a beautiful statement as well. When he says it like this, he said, When Christ who is our life. Can you just underscore that last phrase, who is our life? Because my question to you is, and the question to me is the same, how much of my life is defined by my relationship? My relationship to Christ. Gene Fleming says it like this, the Apostle Paul's obvious center was Christ. His writings never digress from Christ. They ring with a steady, predictable hammer striking the anvil of life. Life is in Christ, of Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ, for Christ, from Christ. To live is Christ and to die is more of Christ. Paul was known. His image, his epitaph, his legacy was known as being in Christ and having Christ in him. You know, for some of you soccer moms, your identity right now is your children. Soccer dads as well. You're taking the kids to practices and you're coaching the teams and you're going to school events and you're paying for the extracurricular activities and you're paying for the extra things at school and you're paying here. You know, you're, everything about your life right now says children. When you wake up in the morning, you hear the cries of children. When you go to bed at night, you hear the cries of children. Children, 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 kids, kids, kids define your identity of who you are. For some of you in this room, your work defines your identity. You go to work when it's dark this time of year and you come home and it's dark. You, you, uh, you got this little beeping thing that's always on your hip. And every time it beeps, you jump. You're like Pavlov's dog. You kind of jump to the beat or your own ringtone. It defines you. It's your identity. I think what we've got to come back to, and I don't know exactly how it's all going to have to happen, lived out, fleshed out in our lives, but I think what we've got to come back to is somehow, some way, where Christ becomes our identity. That really what people see when it comes to a business transaction, when it comes to the way we deal with our children, when it comes to living out our life, when it comes to getting and making priorities on our day, when it comes to our money and opening up our wallets, when it comes to to these, these areas of our life, I hope what really will define us is our identity with Christ. What are your priorities? Look at your wallet. It'll be the greatest indicator. What's your focus? What's your focus? Are you setting your, your mind on things above? What are you thinking about? Where are your treasures? What are you thinking about? What defines you? So much of what defines us is our time. Where we prioritize our time. Where we put ourselves. Time, treasures, and thinking. Times, treasures, and thinking. Where are they? How do they they play in defining us and giving us an identity? How are they being shaped by our relationship with Christ? I close with the story of Augustine before he became a believer. He uh, was having a, a relationship outside of marriage with a lady named Claudia. And as he had this relationship going, he came to know Christ. His life was changed. He was walking through the markets. And Claudia saw Augustine and came running to him and saying, Augustine, Augustine, 
But Augustine kept walking. He said, Augustine, Augustine, it's Claudia, it's Claudia. He just kept walking. He says, Augustine, this is Claudia. He said, I am no longer Augustine. What was he saying? He was saying, my life has a new definition. My life is no longer defined by this relationship. It's now defined by my relationship with God. This happens whenever we are morphed and transformed from the inside out. Praise band, would you come back up then? I want us to think, as we sing through this song, I want us to think about our life. And I want us to ask that question, am I being conformed like Plato? Where on the outside I look like a Christian. I talk like a Christian. I believe like a Christian. Or am I being transformed? Am I truly being changed from the inside out? Am I truly seeing life change? If I am, you'll see it in my time, you'll see it in my thinking, and you'll see it in my treasures.